Welcome to the podcast for Sunday, October 16th, 2016. May God use this as a blessing to you today. Let us pray. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There are all kinds of famous walls around the world, from climbing walls to Fenway Park's green monster wall, the Berlin Wall, which is no more, the Great Wall of China, uh, the Wailing Wall in Israel, and uh, in New York City's Wall Street, which I've heard there's lots of wailing that also happens around there. Uh, We could even throw in such icons as the wall that everyone loves to hate, Walmart, uh, where's Waldo, and Disney's Wall E. but perhaps the, uh, the one wall that has garnered more attention during this uh, presidential election, it is the wall between the United States and Mexico, the border wall. And the wall that is being uh, purported to be built by one of the candidates, should he be elected, which sounds like it's going to be as high as the northern wall in Game of Thrones, uh, for any of you who <laughs> follow that. Home to Castle Black, right. So there was an article in the Antelope Valley Press this past Thursday that had updated statistics from the U.S. uh, Department of Homeland Security on immigration. I thought, I'm preaching on immigration this week. How amazing is that? Well, um, we tend to think of undocumented immigrants as largely coming from Mexico, hence the wall and the border. But did you know that uh, last year... More Mexicans left the United States than came into our country. Uh, The article is saying it was ending one of the biggest immigration waves in U.S. history. China and India now send more immigrants to the United States than any other country. In 2015, there were approximately 11.4 million undocumented people in our country. And what I found really interesting about this, according to the Homeland Security article was that the largest group in 2015 were people who had overstayed their visas. 527,000 people fit that category last year alone. That's larger than the population of Atlanta. Now, this number relates only to people who came to this country by plane or ship. Uh, It does not take into account foot or other vehicles. Now, to put it in perspective... The Border Patrol, along the 650 miles of border between the United States and Mexico, made 337,000 arrests in 2015. It sounds like a lot. And granted, arrests are only one component of assessing illegal crossings into our country. But this was the lowest amount since 1971. So, more people are staying here illegally than coming into the country illegally. And did anyone else notice that six of the seven Nobel Peace Prize winners for our country are immigrants. Chemistry winner J. Uh, Fraser Stoddart is a Scottish-born American. There were three co-winners in physics. Duncan Haldane, from, who immigrated from Britain, David Tholis from Scotland, and Michael Kosterlitz, who also immigrated from Scotland. The two co-winners for economics, uh, Bengt Holmström from Finland, Finland-born, and Oliver Hart, who was born in England. The only native U.S.-born winner, Bob Dylan. Just announced this last week, Nobel Peace Prize in Literature for Poetry. Man, the times, they are a-changing, aren't they? In the United Methodist Church Book of Discipline, it says this about immigration. We recognize, embrace, and affirm all persons, regardless of country of origin, as members of the family of God. 
We affirm the right of all persons to equal opportunities for employment, access to housing, health care, education, and freedom from social discrimination. We urge the church and society recognize the gifts, the contributions, and the struggles of, of those who are immigrants and to advocate for justice for all. So welcome to the second week in our election season sermon series entitled The Politics of Jesus. And as I stated last Sunday, my intent is not to tell you who you should or should not vote for because no one has the right to do that. That's one of the aspects that make this country great, the freedom for all of us to vote our conscience. But I do want us to look at just a few of the issues that have been in the news lately with this election and then give kind of a biblical perspective on them, especially ones that Jesus spoke about while he was dealing with them back in his day. So let's begin by looking at the words behind immigration. According to the Anchor Bible Dictionary, biblical scholars looking to translate this word in Scripture have used such descriptives as foreign resident, stranger, foreigner, immigrant, client, resident alien, and sojourner. And it's this last word, sojourner, that, I, that has been used most often. It conveys the idea that the individual is not a permanent member of the community in which he or she lives. And the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, says a lot about how we treat the sojourner or the alien. And it's important for us to know that so we understand the world in which Jesus came out of. Exodus twenty two twenty one. You shall not wrong or oppress a resident alien, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. The second book of the Bible, Exodus, begins the story of when the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, and they were there for generations before God sent Moses to come and help bring the people out of slavery into freedom, into the promised land. And God wants his people to make sure they remember that's their story too, that they were once sojourners in a foreign land. So treat those among you well. Exodus 23, verse 9. You shall not oppress a resident alien. You know the heart of an alien, for you were aliens, sojourners in the land of Egypt. Now, at first glance, this may seem almost identical to the verse we just read, except for this phrase. You know the heart of the alien. It's not enough to simply remember that you used to be a sojourner. God wants his people to remember what it felt like. Remember the emotional stress that it caused. Remember how vulnerable you felt. Remember the insecurity and the uncertainty of everyday life. And if it wasn't you, remember the stories that your parents and your grandparents and their grandparents told. For you know the heart of the alien, God says to his people. Leviticus 19.34, the alien who resides with you shall be to you as a citizen among you. You shall love the alien as yourself, for you were aliens in Egypt. This takes it one step further. Not only are the Israelites not to mistreat an immigrant, but God says you must also love them and include them as full citizens, not second-class members. Numbers 15, As for the assembly, there shall be for both you and the resident alien a single statute, a perpetual statute throughout your generations. You and the alien shall be alike before the Lord. You and the alien who resides with you shall have the same law and the same ordinance. So don't mistreat them. Know their heart. Love them. And now make sure that there are no different rules or regulations between foreigners and locals. Basically, God's saying treat 
everyone the same. In fact, there's even a few extra rules, uh, commandments, and special care and opportunities that should be given to the sojourners. I don't have the slide, but Leviticus 23.22 says this, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the alien. For I am the Lord your God. So when landowners in Israel went to harvest their crops, whether it be um, olives or, or grapes or wheat or whatever it was, God said, leave the edges unpicked so that the poor and those that are sojourners can come in and they can have something to eat. And when you, when you harvest things in the middle and a few things drop on the ground, don't stop to pick them up. Allow the, the poor and the sojourners to come in and take that for themselves as well. Everyone needs to be able to survive. You see, this is the tradition that Jesus inherited. These are the teachings of the Hebrew Scriptures that he grew up with, that he incorporated into his understanding of who God was calling him to be. A tradition that was very clear about the place that the foreigner had in the life of the larger community. Primarily because Israel was a community who had experienced living as foreigners in a foreign land. And they, like all of us here in the United States, were a nation founded primarily by immigrants. Which brings up the story which I selected for reading today from Matthew 15, beginning at verse 21. Now, I know I preached on this a few months ago when we were talking about uh, women in Scripture. But especially on this topic, it behooves us to revisit it. Matthew 15, verse 21. Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. Now, technically, this story takes place outside the confines of Israel and Judah. Tyre and Sidon were located just north of Israel in the land of Phoenicia. And there was a large Jewish population that was living north of Galilee. So Jesus was probably going up there uh, to reach out and minister to those Israelites who were living in the foreign land. Now, I believe this story is crucial in in recognizing Jesus' own understanding of his mission and ministry. And man, what a story this is. You may remember when Moses and Joshua led the people into the promised land, they also referred to the promised land as the land of Canaan. Matthew specifically calls this, this woman in the story a Canaanite woman, reminding all readers that she wasn't just some outsider. She was tied to the same land that they were. Nevertheless, Jews had a very clear distinction uh, on how they should not get involved with non-Jews in the region. They were considered unclean. And so this Canaanite woman, though, has the audacity to address Jesus as son of David. That's a name that was used for the Messiah. Some of Jesus' own followers didn't even use that name with him. As readers now, we're anticipating a kind and loving and compassionate response by Jesus, right? Let's pick up the very next verse. But Jesus did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. We almost have to, like, reread this section again. Did we get this right? This is a side of Jesus we're not used to seeing. First, he ignores a woman in need, a woman who has come not for herself, but because of her daughter. And then the disciples are getting annoyed with her because she keeps going on and on that she needs help. 
Evidently, she's quite persistent. And then Jesus basically tells this woman that he's not here to deal with her kind. Wow. His mission, he says, is simply to the lost sheep of Israel. But that doesn't deter her. Verse 25. But she came and knelt before him. She knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. He answered, it's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. Now, some might dismiss this as locker room talk, but let's be assured, this seems to be like Jesus is insulting this woman, doesn't it? He's calling her a dog. Now, some scholars will tell you, oh, no, but the word here is really an affectionate term for doggy. And you know how we love, no, I'm, I'm not joking, how we love having the animals around us. But to me, it still seems like he is insulting her. Listen to the amazing faith of this woman. Instead of being insulted, she replies with deep wisdom. Verse 27. She said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's tables. Then Jesus answered her, woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. I have to wonder, could it it be that Jesus learned something about his mission and ministry in this conversation with this woman. I mean, I know we think of Jesus as being divine and all-knowing, right? But he was also human, right? The early church said he was 100% divine and 100% human. So if he was human, not just God in a human shell that looked like he was going through all the human motions but really didn't suffer and struggle, if he truly was human and had those frustrations and the limitations and the challenges that we have... And he'd been preaching and teaching all over Israel. Everywhere he went, people were crowding around him. They wanted something from him all the time. Outsiders, insiders, everyone clamoring for a piece of Jesus. And here, in a foreign land, this outside woman, this non-Israelite, comes to Jesus with a faith, he says, that surpasses even those he's seen in Israel. I wonder if she helped Jesus see that his mission and ministry might be even bigger than he knew at that point. I've spoken many times about my seminary professor, Reverend Heather Murray Elkin. She was one of my favorite, favorite teachers because she always had these amazing stories. She told the story about the time she and her husband inherited a family smokehouse in the hills of West Virginia. That was where her people were from. Heather writes, a smokehouse isn't part of a regular real estate market. It's a primitive structure, a basic link in the food chain, a place and process for the preparing animals for human consumption. Here is where the pioneer family who farmed this land slaughtered, hung, gutted, and smoked the deer, the squirrels, the coon, the pigs, the calves, and the lambs. Heather says, as she was looking around the smokehouse near the end of one vacation, she came across a scrapbook. It had this antique Spanish map on its cover. She sits down to look at it. Asia is circled in red with a magic marker. Tibet, India, Persia are the only legible names. The scrapbook belongs to the last family that lived there, boat refugees from Cambodia. The first page on this magic magnetic photo album, made in Japan, by the way, holds a handwritten note dated September 14, 1979. For our new friends, the Luong family, from Frank Turnbull's brother, Bill, and wife, Mary, who live at 76 Edgerton Road in Akron, Ohio. 
And on the very first page is this news clipping. Refugee family finds peace with West Virginia family. Here's what it says. Frank and Ellen Turnbull planned a quiet life on their farm in Wirt County when the last of their eight children started to college this fall. That was before they started the chain of events that brought a Cambodian refugee family to share their home high in the hills of West Virginia. Now for the past month, Lim Luong, his wife, Sua Chit, and their four children are living with the retired Presbyterian minister and his wife on their farm in the Sonoma Blue Goose Road area, which borders Rowan County. It all began, according to Reverend Turnbill, with letters from his brother Robert, who is a missionary in Thailand. We screwed up our courage and wrote to the task force for resettlement of refugees at our church headquarters in New York, says Reverend Turnbill. The Presbyterian Church and Spencer agreed to also sponsor the family and to back up the Turnbulls in their adoption of the refugee family. The homeless family arrived with nothing but the clothes on their back. They knew no English and no one could speak the Khmer language. But they brought with them gentleness, a willingness to help, and an eagerness to learn that immediately won the hearts of the Turnbills and all who met them. Right from the moment they arrived, Sua Chit and her 15-year-old daughter Kim Nam have stepped right in to help me work, said Ellen Turnbull. We have to communicate with love and sign language, but they catch on very quickly, she added. The father, Lem, is literate in his native tongue, explained Reverend Turnbill. He studied in a monastery to become a monk before, and that's all of the article that was left in the scrapbook. On the next page is a Christmas card depicting the darker side of the nativity, the flight of the family to Egypt. It's a picture of a dejected-looking Joseph leading a, a, a weary donkey off into the night with Mary carrying their newborn child. Written in the margin was this. This card of Mary, Joseph, and the baby Jesus reminded me of you and your family. Followed by Lem, there is so much beauty in your love. I know when you learn of this, you will rejoice. Now, it'll be helpful for us to remember the history of Cambodia before we go on any further. On October 8, 1968, 40,000 North Vietnamese troops invade Cambodia with the prince's permission. On April 30, the following year, 1969, U.S. and South Vietnamese troops invade Cambodia. Large anti-war protests break out in the United States and in Europe. U.S. troops are withdrawn on July 29th of that same year. On October 9th, there's a formal proclamation of the formation of the Khmer Republic. For several years, the headlines in Cambodia don't register much in the United States. Then in 1973... More than twice as many bombs are dropped on Cambodia as were dropped on Japan in World War II. By August, Congress forces the president and the military to cease bombing. By 1975, the Khmer Rouge communist forces control Phnom Penh and two-thirds of the country. A new leader, Pol Pot, is now head of Kampuchea, the new name of the republic. He will personally oversee the execution of hundreds of thousands of the uh, exploiting class, they were called. Army officers, civil servants, teachers, monks, and nuns. Hundreds of thousands of Cambodians flee the country as refugees in the next four years. There are 4,000 public confessions in 1976 alone, followed by executions. Nearly 2 million people are either massacred or worked to death in labor camps. 
the Khmer Rouge communists execute nearly every member of the educated classes in Cambodia between 1975 and 1979. The family eventually takes shelter in the smokehouse on Spring Creek. They had to walk 400 miles to escape their country. They lose family members in the jungle and refugee camps and at the borders of the United States. Immigration regulations require that the head of the household must be employed. They need work. Well, the Turnbills just happen to have an abandoned smokehouse and a farm. Heather says she often wonders what kind of karmic chaos they cause by having Cambodian Buddhists in a renovated slaughterhouse. They started to earn their keep by caring for the sheep, but not knowing the fine art of shepherding becomes a bit of a challenge, as sheep can be quite ornery if they're not cared for properly. Eventually, they discovered the gift of raising strawberries. So they go from the killing fields to the strawberry fields forever. It is literally an answer to prayer. And the Luong family was very, very good at raising strawberries. The family found shelter in this smokehouse for four years until they got their bearings. They located other family members in North Carolina, got jobs in factories, and like other rural farmers, they migrated to the big city. They sent a photo of their firstborn in a Christmas card. It's basted beside a drawing of a strawberry heart. Heather concludes this story by saying this. If we believe in the Christmas story, it means we're supposed to offer room whether it's in an inn or a smokehouse, for the stranger, the alien, the homeless, even our enemy. We do this because we're told in as much, Jesus said. We prepare to shelter any child, even the children of our enemies, and whatever structure of our life can withstand the terrors of history. We do this because we believe that God so loved. The Unknown Scrapbook gets it right. There is so much beauty in your love. Friends, I understand that the issue of immigration is a difficult and complex one here in the United States. There are a lot of mitigating factors that come into play. But I also know that towards the end of his ministry, Jesus told his disciples what would be most important when they eventually stand before God. And that was, what we do to others is what we do to God. And he listed such things as, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, visiting the sick and the imprisoned. And he said this, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. How can we as followers of Jesus reach out to welcome the stranger, my friends, as Americans, as Californians, as Christians? And I know the answer will be different and difficult for many of us. But what a wonderful opportunity we have to discover this together. Thanks be to God for the challenge of caring for all God's people.